all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Development and Behavioral Pediatrician and Professor Emeritus of the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We were all teens once. You ever wonder why you did some of those risky and dangerous things back then? You were smart, ended up pretty successful, but what in the world got into you to make you behave that way? Do you see the same behaviors in teens of today? Today we'll talk about why teens do the things they do and how we can keep them safe. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. Share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven MPB Ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is relatively speaking from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. A day after Congressional Budget Office analysis, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi says the Republican plan to replace the Affordable Care Act will hurt Americans. The story that the CBO told yesterday was so clear. Under the Affordable Care Act, the, the, half the, the number of people without insurance was cut in half. Under the proposal of the Republicans, the number of people uninsured will not only grow to where it was before the Affordable Care Act, it will be more people uninsured. Pelosi says stress is the last thing people need when they are sick. Republicans, though, are dismissing the CBO's estimates that millions of people would lose insurance coverage. White House Budget Chief Mick Mulvaney says the CBO was wrong in estimating coverage under former President Obama's plan. And Mulvaney says the office is wrong now, too. The House could debate the new bill as early as next week. A winter blizzard is making its way across the northeast with heavy snow, sleet and strong winds. But as Jeff Cohen from member station WNPR reports for some some areas in the Connecticut region, the heaviest snow is only now arriving. Connecticut Governor Daniel Malloy says blizzard conditions throughout the state will be at their worst until this afternoon. The state remains under a travel ban, and Malloy wants residents to stay off the roads. If you don't have to travel, don't be on the road. That allows everyone to safely do their job. So far, people are listening. Only a handful of accidents have been reported. The governor says residents should wait out the storm at home. Good day to make brownies, is my uh, point, uh, and or read a book. The blizzard could leave more than a foot of snow across Connecticut before it's done this evening. For NPR News, I'm Jeff Cohen in Middletown. The weather has Amtrak running on a modified schedule in the Northeast region with service suspended between New York City and Boston. And thousands of flights across the country have been canceled. A new U.N. report finds Syrian government forces committed a war crime by targeting a key water source outside Damascus. And Pierce Allison Muse reports the U.N. accused all warring parties of disregarding civilians in their attacks. The U.N. blames Syria's air force for multiple strikes on a water source in late December. The report says the rebel presence didn't justify depriving 5.5 million people of drinking water and calls the attack a war crime. 
The report also details violations by rebel groups, including indiscriminate attacks on residential areas and deadly repression against people living under their control. The report says the U.S.-led coalition carried out attacks that raised questions of whether the ends justify the means, including a U.S. strike in October that killed 25 people in Aleppo province. Multiple sources said no more than four ISIS fighters were killed, while at least nine fatalities were children. Alson Muse, NPR News, Beirut. Wall Street trading lower today, the Dow down 22, the Nasdaq down 23, S&P 500 down 7. This is NPR News from Washington. For a second day, most flights in and out of Berlin's two airports are canceled because of a strike. The union, representing some 2,000 grounds workers, walked off over a pay dispute. Hundreds of flights have now been canceled. A new survey predicts a positive national jobs outlook for the next three months. Chuck Hornbuck of Wisconsin Public Radio reports on the latest snapshot from the temporary services firm Manpower Group. The company surveyed 11,000 employers and found 22 percent plan to add workers during the upcoming quarter, while only 3 percent expect layoffs. Manpower's Chris Layden says many employers remain confident. Employers are reporting the strongest second quarter outlook that we've seen since 2009, and this is really stable as we look over the last couple of quarters. Layden says all industry sectors expect to add staff with the strongest numbers in leisure and hospitality. He also says manufacturers are reporting some of their most optimistic hiring plans since the end of the recession. For NPR News, I'm Chuck Quirmbach in Milwaukee. The city of Everett, Washington, is suing drug maker Purdue Pharma. City officials accuse the company, which makes the opioid pain medication OxyContin, of knowingly allowing pills to be funneled into the black market and the city and doing nothing to stop it. Everett is asking for damages caused to the community. Crude oil prices are trading lower, down more than 1.5% at $43.63 a barrel. And Wall Street also lower the Dow down 27 points at 20,853, the Nasdaq down 24. I'm Janine Herbst, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from the financial services firm of Raymond James, offering personalized wealth management advice and banking and capital markets expertise along with a legacy of putting clients' financial well-being first. Learn more at RaymondJames.com. This is Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. And now... Relatively speaking, on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today we're talking about teens and why they do the things they do. We were all teens once, right? You ever wonder why in the world you did some of those risky and dangerous things that you did back then? You are smart, right? You are now. You ended up pretty successful. But what in the world got into you to make you behave the way you did? In relationships, in um, just general behavior, sometimes very risky things happen. Do you see the same behaviors in teens today? Um, In their driving skills, in um, the risk-taking that they do? or even in sometimes the relationships with you. 
So today I want to talk about why teens do what they do, how we can help keep them safe, and I'd like to hear from you about your thoughts, maybe your history and some things that you did. Maybe you learned from some of them. Maybe you are trying to help others out there now who are teenagers, whether they're your own or some that you are trying to mentor. What are your thoughts about how we can help them, how we can maybe make them better? And I'll talk to you a little bit about why they do this, what is going on in their brain. And it really is something going on in their brain. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Well, good morning, Jay. I um, I'm doing this show remotely again. I'm sure people can tell that. And I also want to apologize for my um, a bit of a stuffy, um, congested. Uh, sounding voice. I'm still getting over that flu. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, the the uh, the 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 stereophonics or, or whatever of the phone line kind of cover it up or lack thereof, okay. I should say. <laughs> I just tried to use a really fancy word for sound. Sounded good. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. So, Jay. Yes. Um, have some thoughts about teens and why the things they do. I bet you were one of those perfect teens. Oh, absolutely not. No, I was a train wreck as a teenager. <laughs> Total train wreck. We, we've talked about this on the show before. Yeah, we really have. Um, <laughs> and it it does seem that um, that sometimes you have a really inhibited team who is one who is afraid to try anything. But by and large, teens um, tend to engage in more risky behavior. They, they tend to be a lot more impulsive. They uh, tend in, in behaviors, but, but in even thoughts. And so I want to talk about that a little bit as we, we move along. Um, we know that, that teens are not children. They're not adults. They're, there's an entire separate subspecialty of physicians who treat teens due to the differences. Uh, they're no longer those little cute things um, that everybody likes to dress cute and they're sweet and kind. Um, and sometimes they appear to be the size and maturity of adults, but they're just not. And that is not to be insulting. There's some, I hope there's some teens listening today, and I will tell you, we know that there's some who are very productive and contribute a lot. And a lot of teen behavior is normal development and it should happen. There are a lot of big differences going on, even between a 17-year-old and a 28-year-old. And we'll talk about that. But before we get started, I want you to listen to the words of a famous person and see if you can guess who this was describing teen behavior and and um, in what year that was. So here I go. This is a quote. Young men have strong passions and tend to gratify them indiscriminately. Of the bodily desires, it's the sexual by which they are most swayed, in which they show absence of self-control. They are changeable and fickle in their desires, which are violent while they last, but quickly over. While they love honor, they love victory still more. 
for youth is an eager for superiority over others. They have exalted notions because they have not been humbled by life or learned from limitations. They would always rather do noble deeds than useful ones. So who do you think that might have been? Believe it or not, it was Aristotle in one of his writings, Rhetoric, um, over 2,300 years ago. So he knew back then adolescents were impulsive and they weren't quite mature. I don't think, though Aristotle was brilliant, I don't think he quite knew why. Um, but, but good technology has given us a, a look most recently about why there are these differences. And like Jay said, we, we've really talked about this on the show before in the context of impulsive behavior in those um, teens with ADHD or oppositional defiant disorder or conduct issues. But in general, technology has shown in uh, a study Gosh, um, one in 2015, there was an earlier one in 2013, and I want to tell you a little bit about both of those uh, before uh, we get to um, some general stories about what's going on. Um, a researcher who published in Scientific America in uh, 2015, uh, Gide and some of his um, cohorts, uh, found that teen brains are, are really um, very different. It, it appears that the limbic, remember that's the emotional part of the brain, that's more the midbrain, uh, develops earlier. And so teens have more emotional behavior than the reasoning behavior. And remember, as we've talked about on the show before, the reasoning behavior or the executive function, as we call it, is in the prefrontal cortex, the, the front part of the brain. And so with the limbic, emotions developing more rapidly than the prefrontal cortex, sometimes that emotion just takes over. So some researchers say that, um, and, and you've heard me say this, that, that mostly the brain uh, is completely developed by the early 20s. But there's some new information that says maybe in some, not until 30s. So that may explain why some people just behave more like teens sometimes into their late 20s. So early um, support from uh, another researcher, Dennis, also looked at um, even simple things like interpreting stories and all and what happens in the, the brain activity and she also found that 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 appeared that the amygdala the midbrain the emotional part of the brain tended to uh, to react more in interpreting things than the executive function which was opposite in adults so that makes some some sense uh, when you're reacting emotionally you tend to be a little bit more impulsive you don't reason things out you tend not to stop and think before you start having that increased level of emotion so does that make sense I hope um, 
So we, we often hear um, negative stories of teens who are easily influenced to do dangerous and impulsive things that get them in big trouble and, and even killed. Uh, all of my five children have experienced loss. You know, I have five kids. They're all grown. But during their adolescence and early college years, all five of them experienced losses of friends during adolescence either due to drugs, accidents, risk-taking behaviors. So, again, why do such smart kids do such stupid things? And is there something we can do to, to help them out? So as we move along, I'd like to hear from you, our listeners, about your thoughts. Um, did you do some of those dumb things that um, maybe you scraped by and somehow survived through, were there, were there some stops that maybe could have helped you out? Did you feel like you had proper controls put on you when you were doing those risk-taking behaviors and you still did them anyway? Do you think there's a way to help our teens through this? I'd like to hear from you about your thoughts and, and, and maybe what you learned or maybe what you're trying to teach. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We're talking about teens and that risky, risky behavior. Jay, should we go on to our first break or let's do that, yes. Okay, let's go to our first break and, and callers, um, give us give us a call. And let us know what your thoughts are as we go through how we can help these teams. This is Relatively Speaking, and we'll be right back. Press conferences, executive orders, meetings with foreign leaders. There's plenty to follow in the first 100 days of the new administration, and NPR News will be there, digging deep into the facts and bringing you multiple points of view. Listen every day. You work hard to offer a high-quality, unique product, and you need an audience that appreciates this. MPB listeners go out of their way to find diverse perspectives and award-winning news and programming. Make our audience your audience with an MPB underwriting credit. For more information, go to mpbonline.org. can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we are talking about why teens behave the way they do. 
You know, um, before the break, uh, I threw out some questions. Did did you have risk-taking behavior as a teen? Do you feel like it got you into trouble? Or maybe did you learn some lessons that you might not have had you not taken those risks? Um, I'd love to hear from um, some individuals who are close to their teenage years, if they're they're not teens still, um, with maybe some thoughts about what you think may be going on. Uh, we've talked about the neurobiologic reasons somewhat and the maturation and things, but there, there actually is some information that perhaps um, from a neurobiologic standpoint, it's not all just the underdeveloped brain that is not thinking. It may be that there is sort of more thinking than um, than there needs to be without the reasoning that is going all the way through. Would like to hear your thoughts? Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Dr. Budgers, we have our first caller today. We have Al on the line from Mobile. Great, Al. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Good morning. I was a good kid. All through my teenage years, I just really tried to behave. I wanted to, to please my father. But when I was 18, I decided I wanted a handgun. And I couldn't get permission. And in those days, I'm not close to my team. I'm 70 years old. You could buy an anti-tank gun, a functioning one, over through the mail. But I couldn't get permission. So instead of lying my age, about my age for that, I went out and, and lied about my age and jumped out of an airplane. Wow. And what happened? And well, I after 1,250 jumps, I decided that. That didn't make any sense anymore. <laughs> and I have to say that the teenage years may end at 18, but I believe adolescence goes to the late 20s. Mm. Well, you know, you're right, actually. There, there is some information that says at 18, even though 18-year-olds can go to war and they can vote, and in some areas they can drink alcohol legally, um, it's clearly the brain is not completely developed. We've got that information out there, and we know it. And you said late 20s, and um, it does appear, especially, in, and this is no cut to males at all, but it does appear that that the brain development in men is lags a little bit behind that of women as far as the maturational documentation if you're looking at at neural studies, um, mm -hmm. functional MRIs and such. So you're probably right. Now, Al, you bring up a, a point that um, I, I was thinking about during the break is even for me, and I was a pretty good teenager, as good goes, though I did engage in risk-taking behaviors. I did. Things my parents never knew about. Um, I, was, I was pretty good. But um, there are some things now, like downhill skiing. I um, I love downhill skiing and, and could do it. I was never great at it, but I wasn't terrified of it. Now I think through it so much more, and I'm less likely to do anything risky. Same thing. I used to dive off high diving boards, and I still love to swim, 
but I don't do the dives anymore because I guess I'm afraid because I think about the the risks that are there. So um, there's there's some things I would never have experienced or, or, or done um, had I not had a bit of that teenage brain going on. And, and I bet, I, well, you just said it. You're the same way, right? Right, and I'm not sorry I did it, but we invented skydiving the way you know it is now, but um, the risk behavior continued on and escalated. It helped when I stopped drinking at 28, but uh, it was, it still still follows me to this day. So, uh, you know, I'm not sorry that I did that, but uh, I wouldn't encourage my kids to do it. So that's something that I want us to talk about today is how, um, what can we do to maybe protect our teens? Many of us were very lucky and survived those risk-taking, those impulsive behavioral times, but, but some of our friends didn't and some of our children's friends did not. And how do we help? Um, save these teens and hopefully increase the survival. We know the death rate for teens, the, the number one reason for death in teens is accidents, accidents and injuries, right? So that's the number one reason that teens go to emergency rooms. It's not for illness. It's for accidents and injuries. So um, how can we protect them without being overly protective? And what can we do? I'd like to hear from other listeners about their thoughts on that. What what could you do? Uh, give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Another um, uh, thought that's come out, and we've talked about this pertaining to social media and other things, is environmentally now. Things are different than they were for me and Al back years ago. Environmentally now, you see so much on Facebook and on Instagram and on Snapchat and Twitter and all of that about things that people do. Is our environment encouraging um, teens to take more risk-taking behavior? Do you think that perhaps our teens are even more unsafe due to that because, one, they have that immature brain, and then, two, they kind of have pressures put on them from what's going on with social media. What do you think about that? Uh, there is some information out there. We've talked about this before, that people who are on Facebook or social media more often are more unhappy because they feel like they're missing out on something. Do you think that perhaps some of our teens and young adults, uh, instead of sitting there being unhappy like maybe older adults do, do you think that it maybe is an impetus and an encouragement for us to um, take more risk-taking behavior, to do those things? Because, gosh, it's, if everybody's doing it, why, why should I not do it? I'd like to hear what you think about that. And did did you feel those pressures? You can give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 
Well, let's talk a little bit more about some of those scientific explanations. And and after the next break, I want to talk some about some of the recommendations of what one can do to help our teens as we're moving, moving along. So we've already said we know that all teens take um, risk that they they shouldn't, um, but it's thought that some of this risk taking is not um, just because they are not thinking. Um, it may be that in the teen brain they're thinking sort of differently. So instead of the frontal lobe helping decision making and connecting. It, it means that they're just they're not uh, connecting as quickly and as decisively as they should. So things kind of mull around, and it takes them a little bit longer to decide about consequences and decision making. Another thing that seems to be a factor is peer pressure. We've talked about this. Peers are more important than anything. It is so very important to feel like you are one of the group. It's so very important not to feel excluded. And so you add friends into the mix for teens and um, and then that, that moves forward. There was a study using MRI scans on adults and teens and it showed that the brain's reacted very differently in the presence of friends when trying to make a decision. And this is, I think this is so interesting. It found that teens who would not take risks when alone or with an adult were far more likely to take risks when their friends were watching. And you know that ridiculous show, Jackass. Um, I'm sorry to even say that word on air, but that's the name of the show. And and I, I don't know if you ever watched any clips from it, but it was just amazing what what these teenagers would do. And scans showed that the reward center of the teen brain became more active in the company of tears. In college students and adults, though, the reward center activity was was at more of a constant level, no matter who was watching. So especially in younger teens, um, when they experience that tiny bit of, of extra reward in their brain, it tended to push them over the, ed- the edge to do some pretty, pretty silly things. Um, the other thing is concentration, lack of concentration, lack of paying attention to what you're doing. So you're engaged in risk-taking behavior, right? And then you're having more trouble reasoning through. And then you have this reward center that's going on that's saying, oh, yeah, this is going to feel really good because you have your peers watching and they're going to think you're so very cool. And then while you're doing it, you're not concentrating on what you're really doing. And remember we talked again that prefrontal cortex is not mature. Executive function, that's where you're able to pay better attention and process through. And so there you are. You've got those three, four, four factors that are making it 
it harder for you. And then you throw in the emotionality of teens, that limbic system, and you've got the perfect mix for a fairly um, difficult time. So, listeners, I'd like to hear from you about experiences that you've had with your own children or your own self and um, how you feel like I'd love for you to add to the conversation. Uh, what did you do or not do that you wish you could change? Um, is there something that perhaps your teenage years, uh, you did in your teenage years that affected your adult life? And maybe you would be a different person if you had been able to control some of that teen behavior. Did you feel like you had the help that you needed? Or do you feel like now you would like to give the help as a mentor to some of those teens? I'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. And um, we're talking about why teens do the things they do and how perhaps we can help them or how it affected you and how maybe what you did changed your life, maybe for the better, maybe for the worst. Uh, Give us a call. We're going to take our next break. And when we come back, we'll talk about ways maybe we can help. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. We'll be right back. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. In 2007, Al Gore wrote a best-selling critique of what he saw as the Bush administration's attack on truth. He's updated it for the Trump era. American democracy is in grave danger from the changes in the environment in which ideas either live and spread or wither and die. Our conversation with Al Gore this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. Listen to stories and shows. Go to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments... 
Call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we are talking today about why teens do the things they do. Adolescence can be a really difficult time. Um, many times uh, the body's changing so rapidly that the teens can hardly keep up with who they are in the mirror. You see those facial changes and bodily changes, but as we've been talking about, there's some major brain changes going on that um, that that really allows teens to process very differently than than we adults do, and it it may be that this continues on into your twenties or or thirties. And for those who are listening, I'd like to hear your thoughts about whether or not you think that you were done all the way cooked, your brain mature, uh, by the time you were you were at 21 or 22. Uh, I think many people get married during that time. They, they set their long-term relationships during that time. They pick their careers. And, and many times sort of their, their pathway all the way through life. Are you really ready to do that in in those early 20s when we do it? And maybe that's why sometimes people end up in relationships that are not what they need to have or perhaps in careers that they should not be in. I'd like to hear your thoughts about that. Uh, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Dr. Yeah, Butchers, let me ask you. Let me ask you real, real really quickly here, as the phone start yeah. to ring. Yeah. Why is it that it seems like some teenagers, in spite of you know whatever safety measures are put in place, no matter what kind of lessons parents and grandparents and teachers and everybody else try to teach them, and I, I'm asking for a friend. Uh, why does it seem like? There are some kids that just will not learn their lesson until they bang their head against every sharp yeah. object in yeah. in the world. I'll answer that while you catch that line. I think you must be by yourself. Um, that's a that's a really good question, and um, the the why that is is depends on that prefrontal cortex, frontal cortex, and memory imprinting. So. The more immature brain is one that tends to need repetitive, repetitive reminders um, with memory imprinting and, and to, to allow that memory imprinting. So, for example, in individuals with ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, they tend to need to know to to be told repeatedly and given reminders for that imprinting. And and I will also say a lot of it depends on the temperament of the child. It there there truly is some inborn, just innate uh risk taking behavior in son. That more extroverted individual, that that individual that is is less fearful. Um, you have some children innately 
who are a little more anxious, a little more inhibited. And so they're going to think about those consequences over and over, and they'll ruminate on that for a long time. So they're, they're going to be the ones who, after one warning or one mistake, uh, step back and go, oh, goodness, okay, never mind. Whereas you, you have the other individual who's on the other side of the spectrum who's less inhibited and more likely to keep trying to push the limit. It doesn't mean that that child is a terrible child. It means that it just takes a little longer for that lesson to be learned. And even when they know the consequences, the reward may feel so overwhelmingly important to reach that the consequences don't matter quite so much. They're not quite so approval-seeking. And that's the age-old question. What makes child approval-seeking enough so that you can keep their behavior going? I wish I had that complete answer, but I don't. So I don't know if that answered it, Jay. That was pretty good. It was pretty good insight. I will say this, though, uh, for as uh, sideways as my teenage years were, uh, in in the end, I wouldn't change it because it is part of what has gotten me to where I am now. And Mm -hmm. if if my teenage years would gone how I would uh, relive them, Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't be in the position that I am now. So uh, and I I wouldn't be willing to change to change or trade that. So. Uh, right. That is an interesting also. Doesn't always work out that way for everybody, but uh, it did for me. Uh, yeah. We have uh, Chris on the line from uh, the Memphis area in Tennessee. Good. Good morning, Chris. Thanks for calling and listening. Hi. Good morning. Uh, this is an amazing program. I have so much to say on the subject, but I will try to keep it to this. Um, okay. I grew up in a family with two sisters, or the three of us girls. One was the a, the the spectrum where you said no once she never even thought about doing it again to this mm-hmm. day she's mm-hmm. you know perfect in the eyes of you know perfect um, the middle sister was you had to tell her twice and then she didn't do it again and then there I was and I and it it all hell broke loose <laughs> and we were all raised the exact same way in the exact same home um, at forty five years old. Having lived all over the country, I've moved back near my family and have really, and I I sort of went in reverse. I I acted as if I were retired from 18 to 35 or 40, and now I'm back in school finishing my degree. Um, I have, you know, really starting over with, Mm -hmm. you know, little credit. I have no debt, which is great, but also don't own anything, you know, so I've done all of this backwards but the main point that i would like to say is i wish so badly that in high schools maybe even junior high maybe even elementary Mm -hmm. we could teach the kids can't we teach them a little more or anything about neurology and their brain and neuroplasticity and you know hey guys this i promise you these years that are really hell on most of you they're not going to last and 10 years from now, you're going to really wish that maybe you had done things differently. If you went down the path that I went down, you know, mm-hmm. um, right. I don't regret, you know, like um, your colleague there said, I, I really have no regrets. I've had a lot of fun. But looking back, I really wish someone had sat me down and said, okay, 
you know, this sucks right now, but it's not going to last forever. And the things that you do to your body now are going to impact the really great years. Um, I just think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of really great new research out there that we're not doing anything with. That's really exactly, you know, um, you brought several points up, Chris, and, and let me, let me reiterate a couple of them that you did. First of all, there were three three sisters who grew up in the same home with the same parenting, yet everybody was so very different. And I think we need to remember that everybody's an individual. So um, sometimes, and I, I'm not saying your parents may have parented individually, sometimes the, the, the parenting style that you use for one child is completely ineffective for another mm-hmm. and right. so maybe the fact that you had a very approval seeking sister and parents could tell them once and that worked maybe that frustrated them with you who maybe uh-huh. were, you were going to push the envelope I've actually a little bit. been told that that is the case so yes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but in reality you you probably all three had some some wonderful skills and mm-hmm. and you know if we didn't have people out there who pushed the envelope and took risks we would have a whole lot different world with a whole lot less accomplished so i think we need to keep that in mind Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that our schools are still set up so wrong, many of them, oh. for um, for encouraging individuals who, oh. who, yeah, are not in the mainstream. And I hear you going, yeah, um, that is so true. You know, it's it's we still are so hard on little guys who can't sit still mm-hmm. and who have to move about. And, and gals, too. There are plenty mm-hmm. of girls who are fidgety. And and so we we do, you're right, um, we have that information out there. I think some schools are doing a much better job of understanding it and encouraging um, more active learning. But the other thing that you brought up is we really need to remind teens that, yes, we get this is a difficult time. Neurochemically, things are changing. Hormonally, things are changing. Um, Your body size, you know, some teens grow six inches in a year. I mean, how hard is that to adjust to? And so it's it's so important for us to have understanding and to sit down and to listen sometimes to some of those thoughts. So, um, yeah, Chris, you're right. We need to do a better job. And um, one would hope as we we move along and gain more and more knowledge, we, we do a better job in that. So thanks for your call and and good luck it sounds like you are on a new path again i am on a such a great new path and and i really my ultimate goal uh with the education um that i'm getting is to hopefully i don't know teach mindfulness um, Mm -hmm. in elementary schools i think that might be a really good place to start i don't know how well it's going to go over here but we'll give it a shot that you know what I bet it'll go over very well. What you 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 show? I mean, you've already talked about the need. We know that it works, and we know actually, and that's something I wanted to talk about in the next few minutes. 
is we that's part of how you you deal with individuals who engage in maybe behaviors they shouldn't or um, are doing some counterproductive things is is that mindfulness to to talk about the here and now and in the moment and and what you're doing and and perhaps the ultimate consequences does everybody listen no but if you continue to give that information just lay it out there without being punitive many times you can make a big difference so good luck i'd love to hear more about this chris as you move along so please call in again um sounds like we're getting ready to take our final break and when we get back we're going to talk about some of those strategies that you can use to help with difficult behavior i want you to Give us a call, though. We still have some time. Give us a call at 1-877-MPP-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking, and we'll be right back. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi ranks 50th in child well-being. So what makes a child healthy and well? So it's not merely the absence of disease, but social, physical, spiritual, emotional well-being. There's so much more to the health of a child that I think we need to drastically change our view of what health care is. Parents share their stories as Southern Remedy explores what prevents Mississippi's children from growing up well. Thursday, March 30th on MPB TV. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Speaking, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we have been talking about why teens do the things they do and maybe how we can help them out as they move along through uh, their, their early life and into adulthood. We've talked about um, the brain maturation, the areas of the brain and why they do what they do. They think more emotionally than they do with executive and reasoning function. Um, not all. Everybody's a bit different, and we just had a caller who talked about how you can have the same, you can have such differences in the same family. Um, all good people, but all just different, and sometimes the parenting styles don't don't work for, for each person. So, um, Jay, do we have any callers on the line? Not at this moment. Not at this moment. Okay, we still have time. I'd love to hear from some of you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So let's jump on into if your child's having difficulties with those impulsive behaviors. Some of the things that you can do. Now we touched on this um, before the break, but. 
to encourage your your team to stop and think. Now, here's here's my um, recommendation, and I hear parents do this all the time, and I'm sure I've been guilty of it. But don't ask why in the world did you do that, um, especially if it's an impulsive risk-taking behavior, because very likely the answer is going to be what? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Or a big shoulder shrug. So so don't ask that. You can say something like, what would have worked better? Or what could you have done differently to have a better outcome? You can say what on that one, but not what were you thinking, because that doesn't help. So to encourage your your team to to stop and think how how will it feel later when something like or have them go through how it feels now so this happened and this happened and now there's this consequence and how do you feel now um so to to be able to talk through what may feel good in the moment if you do it right then, may not feel good at all later. And it, it may not even mean that there is a punishment, but it may mean that there is a, a loss of something or an injury of someone or um, perhaps that you hurt someone else's feelings by doing what you were doing. So the other thing that I think is really good as you're moving through this to let your teams know that you weren't perfect. Um, to it's okay to describe behaviors within reason, of course, but to describe behaviors that you did that you regretted later, and and that maybe how it affected you later on. So. So make sure as you're you're talking to your team, it's not all in lecture mode about you did this and these are the consequences and you're in trouble now and you're not a good person. So you want to be careful about that. So so convey perhaps some of those stories. And I know every single one of you out there have stories. And whether you're talking to a teen of your own or a student in your classroom or a niece or nephew that you're trying to mentor or talk to, do that. Keep in mind they need to know that you're human and that you somewhat understand what's going on. When you see, here's another one, when you see that your teen did do something very thoughtful and mindful, call it out. Let them know. We're so good about calling out all the negative stuff. But remember to to turn it around and call out the positive. Let them know that you saw that and you appreciated that. That is so incredibly reinforcing. And I think even adults find when someone says, thank you so much, for giving me that call or thank you so much for stopping and helping me when you could see I was struggling. And um, doesn't that reinforce you? It does. But so many times people forget to say um, thank you. So don't forget 
to to thank that team, thank that kiddo that you love so much and you're trying to mold. Let them know that you see that they're doing good stuff. Dr. Butchers, okay. in the last couple of minutes uh, here, we have Liz on the phone in Hattiesburg. Good. Hi, Liz. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for calling. We've got a couple of minutes. Tell us what your thoughts are. Well, I grew up, like many people in Mississippi, um, in a very conservative home, and my parents never taught me about sex. I never had the talk, ever. Mm. Um, and I, I think it was because they didn't, they didn't want to open up that for discussion. They didn't want me to, you know, have premarital sex. But so what ended up happening when I was a teenager is I went to the Internet to find out my information. And... Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that led to a very serious issue with pornography that lasted for years and took a long time to get under control. Mm -hmm. And once it it did come time for me to be married and to have that type of relationship with my spouse, that turned into even bigger problems because I had unrealistic ideas about what sex was. Like you know, my only exposure like, was to this mm-hmm. very pornographic, and so it scared me and, and led to a lot of insecurities. And I just think, you know, we need to speak to our children about sex in a responsible way so that they understand the mechanics of it, so that they understand that it's it's not a sin, you know. However mm-hmm. your religion allows you to, or however you choose to talk about it, at least you need to have a conversation because they're going to get it someplace else if they don't get it from you. And it's better for you to control the message and to share with them the the good and the bad. Boy, Liz, you brought up a topic that would be another good, great, actually, radio show for us to do sometime in the future because I think there is such misinformation out there and such misunderstanding about sex education and the fact that parents think that if they, some parents and, and some legislators think that if you talk about sex and you educate about sex, then that, then you're encouraging someone to have premarital sex. And I think for anybody to think that kids, teens, just like you is, are not going to try to explore and get information if they can't get it the right way they get it the wrong way and then there is the potential of leading them down a very negative path either due to something that happened like happened to you or um, having um, children engage teens engage in risky and unprotected sexual behavior because they're not educated appropriately so Liz thanks for your call Um, uh, you brought up a great point I think we need to talk about it more. I know our time's up right now, um, but I appreciate you bringing that up. And and, uh, feel free to share more information with us later. Good luck. I hope you've gotten uh, proper help for this. Um, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Today's show is engineered by Jay White, and I think our call screener was also Jay White. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. I hope y'all will join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking. Relatively Speaking. I want you to stay tuned next for NPR's Here Now um, on MPB Think Radio. And we'll be back next week. Thanks.